Duke's Mayo. Do you get it? Because only the ones that get it really get it. Your friends get it. Your mom gets it. Your grandma gets it. Your neighbors get it. Sometimes a dog gets it. Get out of there. What else? Uh, your potato salads get it. BLTs get it. Tailgates get it. And restaurants get it, too. By now, even you probably get it. So get it today. Made without any sugar since 1917, Duke's is that little southern something that makes good things better. Get Duke's. It's got twang. This podcast may discuss topics graphic in nature and possibly triggering to survivors. We value the safety and well-being of all of our listeners. So please practice personal discretion. Now, enjoy the show. Hey, I'm Paige. And I'm Natalie. We're the hosts of the Murder Diaries podcast. We bonded over tacos and true crime after we matched on Bumble BFF. You know, like any normal millennial using an app to meet new friends. Every Thursday, we upload a new episode. In each episode of The Murder Diaries, we tell true crime one story at a time. One week, it's my turn. And the next week, it's mine. You still think it's in my head, but I'm walking with the dead. Obviously, everything we discuss on The Murder Diaries is disturbing. You know, this is a podcast about true crime. However, I'd like to really emphasize listener discretion for this case, as we'll be covering the topic of child abuse. It's April 18th, 2000. 10-year-old Candace Newmaker lies in the fetal position on the floor of therapist Connell Watkins' home. Candace's tiny 70-pound frame is then wrapped in a heavy flannel sheet. From her head with her long brown hair and her very sweet face that was said to have been sprinkled with freckles all the way down to her toes. The ends of the sheet were twisted above her head and under her feet so that escape was near impossible. Multiple pillows were then positioned around Candace to simulate a womb-like atmosphere while therapists Connell Watkins and Julie Ponder Jean Newmaker, Candace's adoptive mother, and two other adults used their combined body weight of 673 pounds to push and pull on Candace as she attempted to free herself. And she stayed in that sheet for 70 minutes, despite trouble breathing, crying for help, and begging for her freedom. So when I'm hearing this, first of all, I'm actually already getting a little ticked. Mm -hmm. But I also really need to know why is it necessary to have 673 pounds currently pushing onto Candace's little body? What it, What is going on here? It's complete overkill, first of all. But Candace is undergoing a controversial form of attachment therapy known as rebirthing. It's an alternative treatment for children who've been diagnosed with reactive attachment disorder, otherwise known as RAD. And don't worry, I will definitely get into that diagnosis a little more. But for now, just stick with me. Essentially, this whole process is meant to recreate the birth experience in an attempt to establish a connection between the adoptive parent, so Jean in this case, and the child, Candace in this case. And one of the most horrifying things ever is that this entire 70-minute session was videotaped. No. It 
it's out there on the web. I personally didn't watch it. I I couldn't make myself do that. After reading the transcript, I literally felt sick to my stomach. And I really think that you have to know what the transcript says to fully understand what Candace went through that day. And if you don't mind, Paige, for our listeners, I was thinking that we could read a portion of the transcript to give them a better understanding. Paige, do you mind being Watkins and Ponder? And I'll be Candace. Some context here is, is Watkins, are they both female? Yes. If the baby doesn't decide to be born, she will die. When the baby decides to be born, it's a wonderful thing. So little baby, are you ready to be reborn? Uh-huh. Come out head first. You have to push really hard with your feet. If you stay in there, you're going to die and your mommy's going to die. Candace at 842. Who's sitting on me? I can't do it. Candace at 853. I can't do it. She starts crying. My hands come out first. Sometimes it takes 18 hours to be born. Candace at 936. She's screaming. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Candace at 1016. Whoever is pushing on my head, it's not helping. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't breathe. It's too dark under here. Please quit pushing on my head. I can't do it. Somebody's sitting on top of me. Candace at 1050. She's moaning. Somebody's on top of me. Where am I supposed to come out? Right here? Where my finger is? Candace at 1126. I can't do it. She's screaming now. I'm going to die. Do you want to be reborn or do you want to stay in there and die? 1140, Candace. Quit pushing on me, please. She's moaning. Quit squishing my legs. I'm going to die now. She screams. Do you want to die? Candace at 12 minutes. No, but I'm about to. Candace at 1210. Please, please, I can't breathe. Candace at 1230. I can't do it anymore. Candace at 1240. Please quit pushing on me. Candace at 1312. I need some help. Help. Help me, please. Are you feeling the contractions, Mom? I am. Candace at 1343. Where am I to go? Right here? Right here? I, I'm supposed to go right here? Please, please. Candace screams. Okay, I'm dying. Okay, I'm dying. I'm sorry. 1431, Candace. Okay, I'm dying. 1438, Candace. I'm gonna die. 1530, Candace. I want to die. 1608, Candace. Can you let me have some oxygen like you want me to die for real? Uh-huh. Candace, die right now and go to heaven. Go ahead and die right now, for real, for real. Candace, okay, I'm dead. It's not always easy to live. You have to be really strong to live a life, a human life. Candace at 1707. She's having labored breathing at this point. Get off. I'm sick. Get off. Where am I supposed to come out? Where? But how can I get there? Just go ahead and die. It's easier. It takes a lot of courage to be born. Candace at 1826. You said you would give me oxygen. You got to fight for it. Candace at 1950. She's vomiting. And she says, Okay, I'm throwing up. I just threw up. She continues to vomit. I gotta poop. I gotta poop. Candace at 2124. Uh, I'm going in my pants. Go ahead. Stay in there with the poop and vomit. Candace at 2322. Help. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. It's hot. Uh, I can't breathe. 
I'm so excited to have this baby. I'm waiting for you to love you and hold you. Scream, Candace. Candace, no. Baby, I love you already. I'll hold you and love you and keep you safe forever. Don't give up on your life before you have it. Candace, no response. Takes another pillow from Candace's adopted mother. She needs more pressure over here so she can't, so she really needs to fight. Getting pretty tight in here. Yep. Less and less air all the time. She gets to be stuck in her own puke and poop. Uh Uh-huh. It's her own life. Quitter. Candace at 40 and one second. No. And this is her final word. Mama, you got this far. Now it's up to you. Candace is used to making her life everybody else's problem. She's not used to living her own life. Quitter. 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 Quit. 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 She's a quitter. And at this point, Candace's adoptive mother leaves along with one of the therapists. This baby doesn't want to live. She's a quitter. And then at this point, Connell Watkins tells her two assistants to go ahead and take a break while Julie Ponder and herself discuss regular topics as if they're at the water cooler at work. They're talking about someone they know who's stressed, then they talk about their dream homes and a million-dollar property nearby that's being remodeled. Is your daily grind getting you down? A Thermospas hot tub may be the solution. Just a few minutes under those powerful, soothing jets, and all your stress seems to melt away, like you're lying on a cloud of bubbles. You'll not only feel better, but sleep better, too. Call 877-861-4672 now, and for a limited time, save $1,250. Call 877-861-4672 or visit thermospas.com to schedule a free on-site assessment. Is your daily grind getting you down? A Thermospas hot tub may be the solution. Just a few minutes under those powerful, soothing jets and all your stress seems to melt away, like you're lying on a cloud of bubbles. You'll not only feel better, but sleep better too. Call 877-861-4672 now and for a limited time, save $1,250. Call 877-861-4672 or visit thermospas.com to schedule a free on-site assessment. Then we get back into the timeline of them talking to Candace. After one hour, nine minutes, and 53 seconds, Watkins says, oh, there, she's sleeping in her vomit. Thanks, Paige. I think we all know she wasn't sleeping. No. And they soon figured that out too. But before we really get into what the outcome was, I'm assuming our listeners pretty much know. I want to jump back in our timeline a little bit. Okay. And there are a few things I want to say. So before that happens, the murder of Candace Newmaker is more than the cruel and untimely death of a 10-year-old girl. It's a cautionary tale about the effects of multi-generational traumas, the mother and system who failed her, and child abuse in the guise of therapy, and that's in quotes. So like I mentioned, I'm going to take you guys back to the beginning, two generations before Candace was even born, to be exact. And it's probably not the beginning you guys are hoping for or expecting, but bear with me, it'll make sense in a minute. Mary Clendenin is Candace's biological grandmother. And 
She was born in the 1950s and spent her entire childhood in foster care. Once she aged out of the system, she moved constantly. And she lived such an unstable life that she really wasn't consistently taking care of her children. She had two children, and one of them was Angie Candace's biological mother. So when she was unable to care for them, the Lincoln County Department of Social Services in North Carolina would take care of these kids for her. And according to Carla Crowder and Peggy Lowe's article, her name was Candace. And honestly, the most in-depth research on Candace's case that I ever came across. It was so helpful for this episode. So I just wanted to give them a shout out. They described the situation as on-again, off-again motherhood. And I think that truly captures the instability that tormented Angie and her brother at this point. And it, it made such an impact on Angie that before she even aged out of the foster system herself, she had lived in a dozen different homes and nothing stuck. She had an uncontrollable temper and it frightened those who fostered her. But that's not to say that all this anger she had made her a bad person. There was something in her that really made her deeply want and crave to be a mom and start her own family. And she, in a way, I can see it as her wanting to prove to the world and the the system that really didn't prepare her for adulthood or anything, that she could do it right. And she eventually got married as a teenager and she married Candace's dad, Todd Evan Elmore. They got married at this tiny little chapel in North Carolina. And soon after, Angie got pregnant with Candace. And this wasn't a surprise baby to a 17-year-old bride. No, this was a pregnancy that was planned and wanted and desperately hoped for. She even talked in a few of the different articles I looked at that she played classical music for Candace when she was in utero because she heard that if she played music and read stories to her unborn baby that her baby would grow up to be smart and would be a woman of the world. And I, I think that really, it, it touches my heart so much that this woman who really didn't have a chance in her life. The world was kind of against her. Right. I mean, the, the deck stacked against her mother, her, and now her daughter. And it, I don't know, it breaks my heart. So after Candace was born in 1989, Angie and Todd had two more children. Chelsea, who was born in February of 1991, and Michael in October of 1992. So Candace is the oldest of three children. So I'm hearing Candace was a planned pregnancy, and potentially one or both of these pregnancies of her siblings may have been as well or at a minimum welcomed yes and so candace was candace was born in november of 89 91 92 so they've got these three kids kind of right after each other right three under three 
Right. And so it gets a little confusing to me, or my question is, how do we go from at least one of three pregnancies being planned to adoption? Oh, that that's a very good question. And I will tell you right now, jobs at this time were scarce. And Angie did what she could to get food in her baby's bellies and get clothes on their backs. She worked temporary jobs at nursing homes, at fast food restaurants, and she even tried beauty school, but for whatever reason was unable to finish. And unlike her, her husband, Todd, he couldn't hold a job. He was an unpleasant person who really stood in Angie's way of making a good life for her children. And it's sad, but on top of that, he also was a frequent flyer with the police. He had a long police record, and police were actually called frequently to their home for domestic disturbances. And he was eventually charged with domestic violence. But unfortunately, the charges were dropped, and this is going to boil your blood. They got dropped because Angie couldn't make it to the courthouse since she didn't have a, a ride there. I feel like more often than not these types of situations happen. It's as simple and sad as not having a ride. Yes. Like, this is why people in these situations get stuck. Yeah. Among so many other, you know, reasons we don't have to get into, but, like, this is why. And this is why people in these demographics and experiencing these situations get stuck there. This exactly. And it's it's the status quo as opposed to an outlier, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it's troubling and heartbreaking. And it's something that shouldn't be happening at all. And just going on with what you said, she did go back to him. She temporarily was away and spent, she actually spent Candace's third birthday at a women's shelter for domestic abuse victims. And she actually has photos of Candace's birthday party, three-year-old birthday party at the shelter. But like you said, they always end up going back because of how the, the system is. And so the family was reunited and they were moving constantly. Trailer parks, rundown apartments, housing projects. And things kept getting tight with money and resources. And when that would happen, Todd went straight to the pawn shop. He pawned 76 items during this time, and one of them was his wife's wedding ring, and another was his daughter's high chair, which is truly heartbreaking. Oh, my God. Yeah. That is one of the lowest things I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. You are, you're not in a good space if you're pawning your child's high, high chairs, chair. number one. Yeah, and nonetheless, your child's. High chair. Yeah. Give your stuff away, all of your stuff away before you get rid of your child's. Despite all of this, Candace's step grandfather, this is Mary's husband at the time that all this happened. And it sounds like Mary and the stepfather slash step grandfather were married a long time. He said that Angie's three children were always fed, always clothed, and always housed. And in that same article that this was from, 
Mary, Candace's grandmother, chimed in and said they were always loved. So things may have been rough, but those children were wanted and had a place in their their mom's heart, at least. But child services thought differently. All three children were removed from the family home, and soon after, Angie and Todd lost custody. Do we have specifics on the timeline and and the why of child protective services getting involved? Were there neighbors calling? Was it a family member that was trying to kind of get custody of the kids? Like, what was going on here? From what I gathered, because Angie was a product of the foster system, she was continuously monitored afterward because she did have children at such a young age. So she already had someone watching what she was doing. And it sounds like there were a lot of separate instances that added up to the children being taken away. So obviously lack of consistent housing. Um, The parents didn't have jobs. There was actually a story of Candace getting left at school. And this was a time when Angie and Mary, so this is her grandmother and mother, were in a fight with one another. And for whatever reason, Angie could not pick up Candace at school. And she also didn't have a cell phone. So they couldn't get in touch with her. And eventually they contacted the grandmother. And because the grandmother was so angry at her daughter, she told the school to let the child stay there and or Candace stay there until the next morning. And that was that's just one instance of the type of things that were happening. So there's just some it's, ne- Petty it's neglect. nonsense. Yes, that becomes neglect on Candace. Mm-hmm. This is horrible. And, you know, it maybe it wasn't wrong at the end of the day that Candace was removed from this situation. So it's just incredibly ironic that all these events led up to the murder that we just read and and there's more like I'm, I'm, I'm dying to know more. And I I know you've got more, so keep going. Well, the troubling thing is she left one home of, of neglect to go live in another home of neglect. You know what I mean? It, it blows my mind. Yeah. It's like the system is built with well intent, you would hope, but Number one, you've got Angie over here who was part of the system herself uh, growing up. And it's almost like a a probation type situation where she's got eyes on her. At the end of the day, that was to ensure her safety and well-being and then her her family's well-being. But it ends up being that probation thing of like the smallest thing can just land you back in jail so to speak. And in this case, Candace was the one that ended up in the jail. Candace and her siblings. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I really want to back up a little bit because I failed to mention the type of kid that Candace was. And I, I don't want this to be about all of her tragedies. I want, I want to highlight some of the positives of her because I, I want us to be able to remember the little girl that could have been, or you know what I mean, that 
No, I get what you mean. We we've we've heard the transcripts of her murder. We've kind of heard her mom's story. And yeah, like let's let's hear like tell me about Candace. Like who who was she in her 10 short years? At the time that she was living with her biological family, she's described as a kid who was beyond loving. She was a mother to her two younger siblings, which I totally understand because even though I'm not that much older than my younger brother and sister, I like literally potty trained my sister. And <laughs> I used to brush my little brother's bald head as when he was a baby with Barbie combs. Like they were just my little baby dolls. I yeah. I wanted to take care of them. And that's how she's described. She's described as someone that so fiercely loved her siblings who was so protective of her mother and often got between her father and mother when they were fighting because she didn't want him hurting her. And that like literally gives me a lump in my throat thinking that this little girl wanted to protect her mom from being hurt because she loved her so much. And she loved her papa, which is her step-grandfather and her grandma Mary. These are people that failed her. Mm-hmm. but she knew that they had good intentions and she could see that. And I don't know. I, I think that's important to highlight all the love that she had to give. And um, I don't, I don't want to lose that in the story. It's so like, it literally just he- reading it, it really touched me and, and made this story difficult to, read it just shows her resiliency and it just shows her innocence and her ability to work through tough situations and almost just kind of process it figure it out and keep living her little 10 year old well her her five year old life because that's how she was de- right described when she was um, living with her biological family. Is your daily grind getting you down? A thermospas hot tub may be the solution. Just a few minutes under those powerful soothing jets, and all your stress seems to melt away, like you're lying on a cloud of bubbles. You'll not only feel better but sleep better too. Call 877-861-4672 now, and for a limited time, save one thousand two hundred fifty dollars. Call 877-861-4672 or visit thermospas.com to schedule a free on-site assessment. So just jumping back in, I'm sorry to go back and forth. Candace's younger siblings, Chelsea and Michael, they ended up being taken to the same home and they were able to stay together, thankfully. But Candace went out into the foster care system on her own. And she bounced from home to home for two years until the age of seven, when she was adopted by 42-year-old nurse practitioner Jean Newcomer. And Jean Newcomer always felt the call to be a mom. She desperately wanted it, but for whatever reason, it hadn't happened on its own. And so she decided to go ahead and start the adoption process when she was matched with Candace. She lived a vastly different life than Candace. She grew up in a stable and very upper middle class family. She never wanted for anything. And in fact, I read that 
her grandparents' home was literally a mansion and eventually it was bought by the the city and made into the new wing of the of a the local library or the property was used for the the new wing of the library so that just gives you an idea of the privilege that Jean Newcomer comes from unfortunately her expectations of motherhood didn't match up with the reality of being Candace's adoptive mom and that's because Candace terrified her and this is what i mean when that very fiercely protective child and loving child isn't the same kid that Jean adopted at seven years old. According to Jean, Candace could be cruel and violent and in fact had killed goldfish. I don't know how many or how often that had happened, but it was something that had happened. So this isn't quite in question that maybe Candace was going through really tough issues with anger, grief. I mean, you basically, she lost her family. So are we kind of saying that this is uncontested, most likely that like this is held as truth? To an extent, that's true. It People trusted that Jean was relaying fact of things that did happen. But there is also people that have come out and said that no one ever experienced the type of violence that Jean describes, they never experienced that when in contact with Candace. So this is interesting because this almost kind of made me feel like um, a Gypsy Rose vibe of sorts. Like the attention, I am now a mom, look at me, Mm -hmm. and like, oh my gosh, it's so hard kind of thing. Um, Obviously, Gypsy Rose's story is like, Totally different and a whole nother episode for a whole nother day, but I'm sure most of our listeners know it if you don't look it up. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I was like getting Munchausen's by proxy vibes almost, or, or maybe almost even Munchausen's since she's almost kind of playing a victim of sorts with anger, like almost ex- like I'm literally afflicted, like look at me, but yeah, anyway, I'm the victim here. Yeah. Y- yeah. So, I mean, this is like a whole mess that I am not certified despite a psych and counseling background to diagnose. Um, but wow. Yeah. I'm getting some weird vibes. That, that's why I asked you earlier, like, mm-hmm. is this like verified? Did neighbors corroborate this? Like what the heck? And just adding on to that uncorroborated Candace history, Jean is noted as saying that Candace at one point even started a fire in the home that they shared together, but this was never supported by any other people in Candace and Jean's life. So we don't know beyond taking Jean's word for it, unfortunately. Oh, that doesn't sound good. No, not at all. And Within months of the adoption, Candace was taken to doctors, therapists, psychiatrists, anyone and everyone that Jean could think of helping Candace's, and this is in quotes because of what we discussed, issues. And it, it's around this time that Candace is diagnosed with what we previously mentioned, reactive attachment disorder. And again, you know, her having this RAD reactive attachment disorder is questionable, not only for what we talked about, but because of how the diagnosis came to be. 
it turns out that the doctors and therapists and psychiatrists that did see Candace as a patient never gave her that diagnosis. It was a psychologist that Jean had talked to over the phone and described her actions and behaviors and symptoms. And that is how the diagnosis was made. So even that's questionable. It's completely questionable because, as we mentioned, these things have not been corroborated. So if somebody is just reading out of the DSM, the Diagnostic Statistical Model, and they're reading the symptoms that are being listed off and saying, this sounds like RAD, and you meet the requirements listed in the DSM for RAD, is that even an ethical diagnosis when it's just been over the phone? The answer is absolutely not. Like, that's not even hard to figure out, to be honest. Like, you can't just list symptoms over the phone and then say, oh, yeah, it's this. You, and and, and that therapist may have used better language of, that sounds like this. I will read this to you. I refer you to blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then she took the diagnosis and ran, or you know what I mean? That and ran with it. Yeah. My daughter's been diagnosed with RAD, and now we need to come here. I spoke with so-and-so, and they referred me to you, bing, bang, boom. And it was a cluster F that got her into a completely controversial and dangerous therapy, to be honest. I did not know this case before, but you may have seen in our video, um, since we are still remote due to COVID, I had like a look of shock on me because like, I've heard stories-ish like this before, just really bad experiences with this therapy. Like mm-hmm. it's kind of just like not okay. But what I would like to ask you is, can you tell me a little bit more about reactive attachment disorder? Sure. The The signs of the disorder are the inability to give or receive affection controlling, manipulative behavior, a lack of conscience, aggression, and aggression that's typically taken out on the parent or caregiver, primarily the mother. And this is typically a result or thought to be a result of the child's inability to form a bond with their primary caregiver. And that's why they often see a lot of RAD in adopted children. And interactions with those outside the home are more normal. That's very interesting to me, but it makes sense because from my background, again, of psych and counseling, attachment disorders, um, right, are just that, attached to specific beings usually a caregiver, et cetera. So it has to do with the way you are reacting with them and why. And it's almost kind of interesting if you look into developmental psych and maybe many of our listeners here have taken a developmental psych class, maybe part of their general ed or maybe your psych major too or whatever. Um, It definitely goes into the developmental piece. So it's just interesting to me because she wasn't necessarily adopted at, at, at a super young age, Mm -hmm. but it's not entirely impossible for something like this to develop. Right. It's just not. So it it doesn't sound like what Mary described before, but that 
could possibly be because of the immediate difference between that time period of Candace's life and post-adoption and what happened. And that mainly lies with the fact of the attachment with different individuals, as well as the items. And again, not certified to like lay these out, but um, yes, have taken classes on these things. Um, it, it really comes down to things like neglect, things like um, being left alone for long periods of time and things like those that affect your attachment. So having parents who fight and have domestic as- disputes Mm-hmm. isn't necessarily something that's going to cause something like this. So having parents or a home that has domestic issues, um, domestic violence as part of it, it's not always going to be something that completely maybe plays into something like this, which again is why Mary, her grandmother, wouldn't have seen this in her. Mm-hmm. What Candace was more worried about were her siblings, which makes sense. And that's also something that you expressed before too. So it's almost kind of like these two different lives she was living. Totally. And if you really start to piece that apart, it, it kind of makes sense. Again, I'm not an expert, so I could be 100% wrong. I'm just kind of playing back all the psychology tapes um, from college. And and yeah, it's just kind of playing out and um, like setting off some things in my brain. No, I... I'm glad you explained it like that because it is really helpful for someone who doesn't have a psychology background like me. But jumping back into Candace's story, at this point in her timeline, she's on multiple medications, antipsychotics, depression medication, just everything that you can think of. They they were giving this kid and, and nothing really worked for her. And maybe it didn't work because... Kids need love and trust and, you know, patience. They don't need to be pumped with all this. I don't, I, I'm not trying to get on a soapbox, but this poor kid didn't have a chance. And I don't think her mom, adoptive mom, cared enough. I think she was selfish and that's why she went the route she took. Because now she's desperate and she's willing to try anything and bring peace to her home. And on the advice of a a psychologist familiar with Candace's case, she takes Candace from North Carolina west. They go to Colorado. And they go to Colorado because there's an institute there. Or it's a private residence rather than an institute, but... That's because Connell Watkins, the therapist who ran the quote-unquote institute, was actually unlicensed and was very controversial in the field. Although, from what I can tell from all the research, we don't know if Jean actually knew up front that the license had been expired, but that is something that came up multiple times. And the other therapist that we heard from at the at the beginning of this case, Julie Ponder, she was actually unlicensed as well. So we have two unlicensed therapists performing very controversial and dangerous 
treatments for young children. I'm sure it's at a very pretty penny of a cost as well. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up because Jean actually spent $7,000 for this two-week intensive therapy. $7,000. That's a lot of money. And we're talking 21 years ago too. So I don't know if that's a further indication of the desperation she felt or her just putting her money where her mouth is and proving to people that, look, I'm spending this money because my child is sick. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. This brings us to the second week of the intensive. And we're now back at the rebirthing session. Candace has been unwrapped and she's seen lying there in the fetal position like we first saw her when she was wrapped up. Except this time she is covered in her own vomit and she's covered in her own excrement. She's not breathing. Her lips and fingertips are blue. And her mother, Jean Newcomer, is watching everything from a monitor in another room. And she runs in to the room where her daughter is and says that she doesn't like the way the coloring of Candace's face and realizes she's not breathing. She performs CPR. They call 911. And interestingly enough, when they're on the 911 call, they misrepresent what took place during the session. They say that, you know, oh, she was just speaking. We don't know what happened. But it turns out that because she had the blue look on her lips and on her fingertips, she had actually asphyxiated, you know, minutes, 10, at least 10 minutes prior to them calling. And that's why we didn't hear another word come out of Candace's mouth after the no. It's horrific. At this point, the paramedics were able to get a pulse back. It was a very, very weak pulse back from Candace. And they airlifted her to, to the Denver Children's Hospital. And there she was on a ton of machines and they did what they could, but she was brain dead. That's what I was thinking. My immediate reaction is, uh, she did not have oxygen mm-hmm. for so long, even before she passed. The fact that they even got a pulse back, I immediately thought, is there brain activity? Yeah, and you're right. She was she was brain dead. There was nothing they could do, and she succumbed to her, her injuries. I don't know if that's technically an injury. What do you think? Does it sound weird to say? It doesn't, and it's... It's interesting to hear you question that because those injuries really were internal. Mm -hmm. It's hard in general to picture this entire situation happening because you have a 10-year-old coherent child going through a known-to-be-controversial therapy saying... I can't breathe. I need help. Like, 
multiple times. It's not just defiance. It's straight up like, this isn't working. I'm in trouble. So this whole situation is hard to picture. So you're like, wait, are these are these considered injuries? Like, it's hard to explain exactly what made her die during this therapy. It, it, she just couldn't breathe. She truly was tortured to death. That's how I see it. Yeah, it's a torture. Absolutely. Suffocation, asphyxiation, uh, that type of thing is probably what happened to her. Do we have coroner's notes? Am I jumping too far ahead? No, no, I'm glad you asked. So it was deemed that she died of asphyxia and the entire video that was recorded as in addition to 10 hours of additional sessions in the preceding days were taken into evidence and used at, at the trial. Watkins and Ponder were tried and convicted of reckless child abuse resulting in death, and they received 16-year prison sentences. The two helpers that assisted in holding down Candace, they also received years in prison. And then Jean Newmaker, she pled guilty to neglect and abuse charges and was given a four-year suspended sentence, after which the charges were expunged from her record. And actually, I just want to throw out that the judge refused to revoke her nurse's license, which infuriated me because someone that could sit there and have their child scream for air and be smothered to death and not do anything about it. That's not someone I want taking care of anyone else. No, you're not fulfilling your, your duties to do no harm. And I was hearing nurse practitioner. Yeah. So she had her master's in nursing. This is someone that with an advanced knowledge in nursing and caring for others. And there are no words. At least in our state, to become a nurse practitioner, you have to get a BSN, which usually takes about five years. Then you have to get an MSN, a master's of science in nursing. And then you can go to NP school. It's a lot of schooling. Mm -hmm. It also creeps me out because she can continue to have her own practice. Yeah. Candace's story was actually the motivation behind Candace's law in Colorado and North Carolina. And those laws outlawed the dangerous reenactments of the birth experience, otherwise known as, you know, um, rebirthing. And um, the U.S. House of Representatives and the Senate have separately passed resolutions urging similar actions in other states. So there's really a movement to stop these practices from happening, but there are still people who think that it helps and there are videos out there of them uh, applauding what it did for them and their family. So it's shit's insane. Sorry, had to go there. I will say ditto. I'd like to end this episode by letting listeners know that I I went ahead and kind of fact-checked myself about the claims of domestic abuse and attachment. And I did find a study out of the University of Montana. It is quite up in the air, but leaning towards a little bit of no with domestic abuse directly affecting the attachment. Of course, I'd also like to add as a disclaimer, that does not mean it does not cause other severe issues or behavioral problems. This is just specific to attachment. And when you're talking about attachment in the psychology specific context, it's a really kind of 
specific and special type of thing. It's not always what you would think of like Webster Dictionary Attachment. So anyways, I just want to kind of disclaim that. So if it interests you, look into it. But it is kind of textbook with the area I was coming from. With all that being said, this was quite the episode and just so heartbreaking. We're going to leave it here for today. Until our next episode, you know where to find us at the Murder Diaries pod on Instagram at the Murder Diaries pod at gmail.com or at the Murder Diaries podcast.com. We're going to do our best to get a copy of the transcript up um, on the website. We're working on things like that. So might not be right away, but we're going to work on getting things like that up for you guys. So and the resources will be there as well. So until then. Better safe than dead. Bye. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.